Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. So I have the privilege of introducing three champions of God from three different generations. And uh, I'm going to get into some detail here. I'm going to actually start down on the end with Alyssa. So this is Alyssa Dexter. And Alyssa is the leader of our women's team for women's ministry. And amen. Woo! And she is also the wife of Pastor Noah Dexter, our youth pastor. And then this um, woman here in the middle is my wife of 33 plus years, Peggy Sherman. Amen. And um, she's going to be sharing today as well. And then this is Sandy Miner. And I have to set her up a little bit more because she has a very special place here in our church and in our lives. Many years ago when our church began, there was a gentleman that was involved with us that helped us walk through some really difficult dark seasons. And his name was David Miner. And Dave was known actually throughout the Northwest, and, and he was a, 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 like a father in the faith to many, many young pastors. I was one of them at that time. And Dave had moved to Moses Lake and become the senior minister here. And he was the senior minister for three years, from 1990 to 1993. And then he moved in 93 to Vancouver, Washington, but he continued over all the years that followed, all the way up to 2015, he continued to be a father who spoke into our church, mentored me, and who traveled all around the Northwest and the country and the world in order to speak into churches and mentor leaders and that kind of a thing. So Dave was a big, big part of our church from the very beginning. He had a wonderful wife named Dorothy, and Dorothy was here with him and and traveled with him for many years. And then in 2000, Dorothy passed away suddenly from a brain aneurysm. And um, about a year later, Dave began to tell us about a woman he had met from Dallas, Texas. And Her name was Sandy, and all of us in this pastor's group, we were kind of like, I don't know about that, Dave. You sure about that? And then Dave brought Sandy to one of our pastor's gatherings, and and we got to meet her. And by the time she left that pastor's gathering, all of us were like, yep, she's the one. She's the one for Dave. And so Sandy has been a part of our congregation. She lives in the Vancouver area, but she's been sewing in to Grace Harvest Church for many years. And in 2015, her husband, Dave Miner, went to be with the Lord. And, um, and so she's not been here much since then. She came for our anniversary a few years ago, and she contacted me and said, I want to come see the church and be in the church and be a part of a gathering. And I said, come on over for Mother's Day and be a part of a team. So this is Sandy Miner, and I'm asking you to put your hands together and welcome her. Make her feel loved and appreciated. And she has a great word for us this morning, and I've given her some liberty too, so if the Holy Spirit speaks anything off the cuff or whatever, she has the liberty to do that. She's completely trustworthy. So listen up and see what God has to say. Thank you all for having me here. Um, I, Dave used to tell me I had an accent. I don't know if I still do or not, but you all is probably very Southern. <laughs> I want to welcome uh, all of the mothers and say a blessing to all of you. Uh, mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, mothers-to-be, mothers that want to be a mother someday. It's a high calling, and we have been given the privilege 
to nurture and to take care of the next generation. It is a real privilege, and it is a blessing. It will be your lowest lows and your highest highs over a, their, their lifetime and your lifetime. <laughs> I want to talk today about uh, Naomi. She was a widow. She didn't start out that way. Her and her husband were um, Israelites, and there was a famine in the land. And instead of pressing into the land where they were, they ran. They ran to Moab. Uh, Moab was a land that um, they were related distantly from Abraham. They, uh, Moabites were descendants of Lot. And most of the time, Moab and Israel were at war. But during this season, they were not. So Naomi and her husband and her two sons fled the famine and went to Moab. While they were in Moab, her husband died. And her two sons decided to take Moabite wives. And then 10 years into their marriage, both of them died. And it left three widows. And in the culture uh, of that time, women had two alternatives or two choices to make as being single, uh, prostitution or begging. If you didn't have a man to take care of you or have a son that was willing to take care of you, those were your choices. So Naomi decided to go back to Bethlehem because she had heard that there was bread in the land, that the famine was over. So her and her two daughters, daughter-in-laws start out on their journey. Uh, one of the daughters goes back to her family and hopefully... As a widow, she would be able to find another husband. Ruth decided to go with Naomi, and she helped her make the journey, the seven, it's seven or ten days walking from Moab to Bethlehem. There are no hotels, no restaurants, uh, no rest areas. And two women traveling by themselves it's very dangerous because many of the roads that they traveled on, uh, well, there's actually just one road between Moab and Bethlehem at that time. Uh, it was notorious for bank robbers, uh, robbers and uh, mean people that just wanted to take advantage of you, steal from you, beat you up, leave you, and... So they went on this journey, struggling, carrying everything they owned. They had to carry their food for 10 days. They had to carry the utensils to make the food. They had to carry their uh, bedding and warm clothes for a night. Um, it was a hard journey. When they arrive in Bethlehem, Naomi's friends don't even recognize her. She has become uh, bitter. She's blaming God for all the troubles that she's experienced. She's disappointed with life. And I know that many of us, especially people my age, have had to face many disappointments. There, we've gone through phases where we question God's goodness to us. 
Naomi was just to the point where she didn't want to go any further. And Ruth loved her so much that she wanted to take care of her. And that love bloomed into uh, a blessing for both of them. She asked Naomi about going to work, and she went and worked in the fields. She just happened to be in the field of one of their relatives, a near kinsman. Uh, Naomi didn't know that until she came home from work, and she asked her, where, had, where did you work today? And she said, in the field, and she named the owner, Boaz, and his uh, approval of her and his generosity to her, and he made uh, provision for her. And Naomi began to realize that she had one last fight left in her, and she needed to provide for her daughter-in-law. Because her daughter-in-law was in a strange country, nobody was going to reach out to her. Um, Hebrew people were, generally speaking, very closed off to Gentiles during that time. And Boaz's mother, uh, most of you may know that, uh, was Rahab. She was a Gentile also. So Boaz saw a Gentile, and he saw and he heard the good report of Ruth. And Naomi decided that she would help her to find a husband after all the goodness that Ruth had done for her. So in her last stand, in her last uh, fight, she decided to help uh, show Ruth how to get her near kinsman to cover her. And it is... Um, one of their cultural things, that you, if the man doesn't realize that he's a near kinsman, if he doesn't see and understand that he's supposed to do something, that it's all right for her to get in his face and say, cover me. You are the near kinsman. And that's what she did. And <clears throat> as I'm think, I was thinking about this uh, during worship today, just a few minutes ago, and Naomi became a warrior suddenly. And I've been made aware of here recently the difference between a soldier and a warrior. Now, I come from a long line of military people, and we spent many years in the military ourselves. A soldier is trained to survive the attack to help his buddy survive and get back home safely. And that's admirable. We need those. But a warrior is designed and trained to finish a mission. The mission is more important than anybody or anything around you. So my charge to people my age is that we are the, the, the warriors. We need to stand up for the next generation. We have something to pass on. We have a story to tell, and they need to hear it. They need to know that God is faithful in a practical, everyday form. 
we hear testimonies from people on TV. We hear testimonies of people across the world. But our kids need to hear our testimony of God's goodness. We do have a story to tell. Uh, recently, I had an opportunity to talk with one of my granddaughters who is going through a very difficult time. She was wondering if she believes in God, but she's not sure about Jesus and if he's really interested in what's going on in her life. And many of us have children that have experienced that, and we have grandchildren that have experienced that, wondering, does God really care about me? And I got to plant seeds of how God cared for me in a similar situation with her. And she was a captive audience because she couldn't go anywhere, couldn't run away from me, and she had to listen to me. And afterwards, my job as the warrior is to bring that before the Lord and say, Lord, I planted the seeds. Now, Holy Spirit, breathe on it. Uh, the divine gardener needs to come and dig around the roots and stir up the gifts that are in her, the words that have been spoken over her, the things that I have planted in her, and loosen the roots so that the water can get down and the Holy Spirit can do its work. And even the, the messy, uh, for lack of a better word, the dung that has been spread around her life, it can become fertilizer to the very roots of the system and what she needs. And we need to water that with our love and ask the Holy Spirit to come and water that with the, uh, the Father's divine love. And that's my charge to our age group, to stand up and be counted, do our job as the warriors in our lineage, and pass on to the next generation the things that they need to face what they're facing right now. In the name of Jesus. I know I very much appreciate um, those who have gone before. It really, really does give me hope knowing that this isn't, that those have gone before and experienced harder, more difficult things actually than I have. So, um, so today I'd like to share from the book of Genesis about a woman by the name of Hagar. Um, as has often been said, the Bible is filled with stories of imperfect, flawed people with lots of family dysfunction, um, lots of drama. Uh, the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar is no exception. Um, and as you'll see, um, these great people of faith actually had lots of character flaws. So, But God, God used them in spite, of, in spite of themselves for his purposes. Um, but like most stories in the Bible, Hagar's story is redemptive and shows us the compassionate God whose steadfast love reaches out in spite of our sin and our flaws to the margins, seeking those who feel forgotten or unseen. So uh, beginning in Genesis chapter 16, um, this takes place before God changes um, Abraham and Sarah's names. They were um, Abraham and, Abram and Sarai. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 16, it says, Now Sarai... 
Abram's wife had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as a wife. This happened ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So not only was Hagar Sarai's maidservant, but she also became Abraham's concubine, which was basically a woman, um, baby, basically a, a, a sex slave who was kept for sexual purposes and to bear children. So it's a terrible, terrible, but common family arrangement in the ancient Near East. Definitely not God's original intent for marriage, but evidence of the depth of depravity that sin had brought into the world. Verse 4 goes on to say, uh, So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. So this is, was not one of Sarah's better moments. So um, <laughs> this is how not to be. So uh, Abram replied, Look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come? Where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she replied. So Hagar became a refugee pretty much overnight on the run from people who didn't want her and rejected her. It's interesting about how what Doug shared about rejection. That was probably one of the the epitome of rejection, just being told you're unloved, you're just a piece of trash, you're off. Really sad. Um, so they don't notice that they don't really see Hagar as a whole person since they never even call her by name. But when the angel of the Lord finds her, he calls her by name. This angel of the Lord is Yahweh, God revealing himself in human form, basically a pre-incarnate um, presence of Jesus before he actually came to the earth. Really beautiful. Um, you see it several times through the Old Testament. Another thing we see is in verse 8, where the angel of the Lord asks Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? She tells where she has come from, but she does not say where she's going. Could it be that Hagar doesn't see much of a future for herself? Maybe you, like Hagar, are worried about what your future looks like. Even if you don't know what lays ahead, you can be assured that God does and will provide every need you have. He has a good plan and a hopeful future for you and your children. Then it goes on to say in verse 9, uh, The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress, submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, You are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael which mean God, means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. So powerful. So skip down to verse 13 and 14, and it says, Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer the, to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. 
She also said, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? So the well where she was named where, where she was was named Be'er Lahai Ro'oi, which means the well of the living one who sees me. I'd like to address for a minute single moms. Well, there's some of you out there. Do you feel cast aside and vulnerable? Do you have deep concerns about how you're going to take care of your children? What the future holds? Your father in heaven is El Roy, the God who sees you. You can be sure that he is not distant and uncaring. Just like he did with Hagar, God wants to meet you and reveal himself to God, to, as the God who has his loving eyes on you. You can believe that to be true. This is the, this is the God that we serve Unfortunately, the, the story and the drama and the conflict don't end there. After God changes their names to Abraham and Sarah, they received their promised son Isaac. And this is what it says in Genesis 21, verse 9. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. Another bad moment for Sarah. Uh, this, this upset Abram, Abraham, but he eventually agreed with Sarah. God was going to prove that he would bless Ishmael because he also was Abraham's son. Verses four, verse 14 through 16. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food in a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away again with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said as she burst into tears. What mother can't feel the pain and anguish of Hagar in that moment? God wants to be known for his compassion. He wants the world to know that he sees and loves people who are helpless, oppressed, and vulnerable, and that it is his nature to come to their rescue. You can count on that. Verse 17 says, But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. And God did keep his promise to her. Later, the Bible tells us that the Lord was with Ishmael as he grew up in the wilderness, and he actually did become a father of many nations. And then in the story, God began to expand Hagar's perspective on what looked like an impossible situation. Verse 19 says, Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. This water well had existed all along for many, many years. God didn't just make the, the well appear out of nowhere. Hagar just didn't see it. God had opened her eyes to see his provision that was right in front of her. To me, the story of Hagar and Ishmael is one of the most touching moments in the Old Testament, Old Testament where God deeply, God's deeply compassionate nature is revealed. Although Hagar was cast away and rejected by people, she met God in a more personal and more intimate way than even Abram and Sarah had up to that point. 
He was the God who saw her. God wants to open our eyes to the well we often cannot see and, take, and let us taste a fresh drink of Jesus, our living water. You know, there are wells, there are God's provision probably all around us that we really can't see. And, and I believe God wants us to um, see that he is there. And there are wells of provision. There is living water. Namely, Jesus is our living water, but also um, practical things. I really believe the Lord wants to do that and show you, show us as his people. So whether you are a single mother or not, or even if you're a man, <laughs> um, this is just a general principle of who God is. He is El Roy, the God who sees. He does see, and he does care deeply about what happens to you and your children He wants to open your eyes and reveal to you that his heart of compassion and all that you need is actually right in front of you. Amen, Lord, so be it. Wow, that was so beautiful. So I know Pastor Doug already introduced us, but my name is Alyssa, and my husband Noah is a youth pastor here at Grace Harvest, and we've been married um, for almost 11 years. And then up on the screen is our two beautiful kids. So we have Israel, who's almost five, and Everly, who's a year and a half, and then I'm also currently pregnant with um, baby number three. I'm about 17 weeks, and we just found out we're having a boy, so we're very excited. So if you would have asked me probably about six years ago if this picture and these beautiful kids would have existed, I definitely wouldn't have believed you. And I'm going to get into a little bit, a piece of that story in a little bit. But I just feel so honored and blessed to share this morning, just a little piece of my heart. And the woman of the Bible that I'm going to be talking about today is Hannah. So who was Hannah in the Bible? Hannah's story is out of 1 Samuel, where we learn that she is the wife of Elkanah. According to the Bible, Hannah, um, sorry, according to the Bible, Elkanah was a man of great influence and wealth. However, Hannah's womb was empty and barren for years of their marriage. She was unable to conceive or bear children. Therefore, Elkanah took up another wife named Penina to bear his children and continue the family bloodline. Yet Penina never let Hannah forget that she was unable to conceive and made Hannah feel inferior about her infertility. When the family traveled together to offer sacrifices to the Lord, Penina consistently provoked Hannah and taunted her about her closed womb. Hannah was heartbroken and so desperate to become a mother. In the temple, she wept with a deep ache from within and cried tears of bitterness and despair. She fervently pleaded with God to grant her a child and vowed to dedicate the baby back to the Lord if he opened her womb. Faithfully, the Lord heard Hannah's plea and allowed her to conceive a son, which she named Samuel. After Samuel was weaned, Hannah graciously gave him to the Lord as promised. God was faithful to Hannah, and Hannah kept her promises to him. So how does my story relate to Hannah's? Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background on my testimony. I moved um, to Moses Lake in fourth grade, and I grew up in a Christian home, and I've loved Jesus since I can remember. And that's actually a huge part of my testimony is just God's preservation in my life, and I had never really experienced any loss or heartache up until when Noah and I were ready to start trying to have kids. And so I remember we were about five years into our marriage, and we got pregnant relatively quickly, and we were just so excited, and the idea of miscarriage had never even, like, popped into my head at that point. And we were about six weeks along when I went through my first miscarriage. And I just remember I was 
I was just shocked because I, well, we never see it coming, right? So I never, I didn't see it coming. And I just really doubted God's goodness. I felt like I had done everything right and I didn't feel like I deserved to lose this baby. And then we actually got pregnant the next month. And so I remember thinking like, oh my goodness, this is like our miracle baby. We prayed for this. This was God's answer to prayer. And we were able to see the heartbeat. And then we went in for a next appointment at eight weeks. And I also ended up losing that baby. And I just remember being so angry at God for disappointing me again. And, and if you've gone through any heartache or anything like that, you know it can be so scary to hope again, even if it's not for pregnancy, just when you've gone through deep heartache. It can be so just scary to hope again. You know, you dream of what could be, and then you don't want to have that rip from your hands again. And so I was able to go see a doctor and got put on some medication and thank goodness for modern medicine, right? And so we got pregnant with Israel and he was just such a gift to us. And I think one thing that I just didn't expect is that after you go through loss, you experience a lot of anxiety and fear through the next pregnancies and and carrying those babies. And it's just that constant thing of having to hand your child back to God because they're never yours in the first place. And And that's a hard lesson to learn in itself, right, is that we don't have control and just continually handing that that baby back to Jesus. And Israel's just a constant reminder in our life of just God's goodness and promises. And so about three years after we had Israel, um, we were ready to expand our family. And we got pregnant, and we went to the first appointment at 10 weeks, and we found out that um, we had lost the heartbeat the day before. And I was just... It really took me by surprise because I was on medication this time and I thought I had already gone through loss and I just didn't think it would happen again. And I just remember feeling like God just really broke my trust. Like I had placed this baby in his hands and, and he had broken that. And I believed that God was good, but I didn't believe that he was good to me. And the enemy was just whispering in my ear that God wasn't trustworthy, that I couldn't trust him with things in the future. And it all just felt like too much to process. And I know you can't all relate to my story, but I know you've all gone through a season where God's promises felt out of reach, where life felt like too much and you didn't know what your next step was going to be. Maybe you're currently walking through a broken relationship or a broken marriage or unknown future, or health crisis, or financial burden, whatever it is, I'm here to say that hope is waiting for you, that victory is on the other side, that Jesus sees you, that he hasn't left you behind, that he is for you. So what can we learn from Hannah's story? We learn that we have to process your struggle to claim your victory. In 1 Samuel 10, it says, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And I just love that even in Hannah's hurt, even in her bitterness, that she brought that at Jesus' feet. You know, that she trusted him with her heart, that we can trust God with our heart, that, you know, we can bring our bitterness and our anger before him. But the key is, is that God just doesn't want us to stay in that place, right? We have to allow Jesus to come in and heal the broken places of our hearts. And I've... um, I've kind of been in the middle of a hard season. You know, I'm so, so thankful to be pregnant. But um, I get very sick during my pregnancies. And I spend weeks on the couch and weeks throwing up. And it's it gets very discouraging and it gets very hard. And 
And I just love that, you know, we can bring our big prayers before God, right? And that was deep anguish and all of that. But we can also bring our simple prayers before God. And there's been so many days these last few months where it's like, all I can say is, Jesus, help me, you know, help me get through this next day. Like, I'd wake up some mornings and be like, God, I don't know how I'm going to take care of my kids today, (laughs) you know, and just knowing that, like, God sees you, you know, on those small moments and those on those days where life just feels like too much. And, you know, sometimes God doesn't immediately intervene. Like, sometimes I just had to take it hour by hour. Like, okay, God, you're walking this through me. I can get through this. And then, you know, there's other days where the Holy Spirit just comes in and, like, whispers to my mom, like, hey, you should call your daughter, you know? And so my mom would call me, and she'd come, and she'd get the kids, or she'd come over and do all of my laundry, you know? Just those simple things, or we'd have a friend, you know, message me like, hey, can I bring you guys dinner tonight? Yes, (laughs) you know? And so I just love that, that, you know, even God sees the deep places of our hearts, but then we can also bring those simple, everyday hardships to him, and and he sees you, you know? He hasn't forgotten about you. So I'm going to read out of Romans 4, 24 through 28. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we do not know what to pray for as we ought, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And I just so love that, that God, you know, gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit that in those moments, you know, when you're going through things and it's like, oh God, I don't even know what to pray for. I can't even get the words out that he gives us the Holy Spirit, you know, and we can connect with Jesus in that way. And it's such a special bond and such a special relationship. And, you know, we live in a world of brokenness. You know, he didn't promise that we didn't struggle, but he did promise that he would be there in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our anxiety. And so a verse that I've clung to is Psalms 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, God is a promise keeper. He is for you, and he wants to renew your hope in him today. So it's another thing that we can learn from Hannah is to trust the Lord and his timing. You know, Hannah prayed for a child for years. I'm sure all of you out there have something that you've been praying for, and it feels so frustrating that God hasn't answered that prayer. But if if you look in the Bible, you'll notice a pattern of God promising things to his people, and most of the time, it wasn't instantaneous. You know, it was years in the making or days in the making, but the thing was, is God always fulfilled those promises, right? It just wasn't in our timing, but in his timing. And I think sometimes we can be so disappointed, you know, when we feel like he didn't come through for us when we wanted, but it's, but we can't always see the big picture, right? And I remember when I was going through some of this, someone told me, don't ask God why, but ask him, what is this for? What can God teach me in the, in the middle of this? And I remember a big part of that was I had to relearn how to trust God. And it was a lot of, you know, deconstructing my faith and allowing God to rebuild that again. And, you know, we say to trust God a lot in church, but sometimes it's hard to know what that, like, actually looks like. How do you actually walk that out? 
And I remember I read a book, um, it's called Stronger Than the Struggle by Havila Covington. And my favorite quote was that she said, trusting God means I believe that his intentions towards me are always good. And it's so simple, but so profound. And it's helped me so much on my hard days, you know, when I can feel the enemy whispering lies to me, that I can compare those lies to that statement. Like, trusting God believes that his intentions towards me are always good. And coming out of the other side of this, you know, when we think about timing and all of that, like, I don't know why I had to go through this, but I will say that I'm so thankful that I can relate to hurting people in a way that I couldn't before. And I'm so thankful that, you know, I'm more deeply rooted in God through this whole process, you know, and learning how to retrust him. And I'm so thankful for my kids, for Israel, Everly, and our sweet baby boy on the way. You know, we, we fought and we prayed for them. And I know many of you in this room fought and prayed for them right alongside of us. And they're just a daily reminder to no one I that God keeps his promises, you know, that he is good, that he is for us. And so coming out on the other side of this, like, are you ready to fight for God's promises? Are you ready to fight for your victory? So I want to read out of Romans 8, 37 through 39. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, no powers, no height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And Hannah is just so inspiring me to because even in her anguish, even after years of her prayers going unanswered, she continually still sought after Jesus. And she believed, you know, that nothing could separate her from God's love. And that's true for us sitting in this room. You know, we go through all of these things, but like Jesus is there. He's in our very midst. You know, he's walking um, every day with us. And so we need to daily renew our minds, right? We need to daily pick up our cross and choose to follow Jesus. Even, you know, it can be so easy to rely on our emotions, right? What we're feeling in the moment, but it's like, we have to rely on what we know, you know, what we know to be true. And so God, you know, God promised that we would struggle, actually. He did say that, you know, we will struggle, but he's provided us with the tools that we need to conquer it. And are you using those tools? You know, I talked about the Holy Spirit being our helper, and he reminds us, you know, of God's truths, of God's promises. And, you know, when you, when you don't know what to pray, when you don't know what next step to take, I just encourage you to pray in your prayer language, you know, and God's going to meet you there. It's, it's an amazing gift that God gave to us. And then another thing that I learned in this process is I was listening to a podcast by Max Lucado, and he talks about this process of taking a Bible verse that speaks to you in this season, and you ponder it, proclaim it, and pray it. So what does that mean? So I know, I'm sure you can all relate to this, when you go through something that feels really hard or overwhelming, you know, you can read the Bible or even listen to worship music, and it doesn't always ring to be true, you know, like I'm reading these things and it just doesn't always, you know, it doesn't feel true to me in this season, and he talks about how there's power in speaking God's truths out loud, and you're actually physically saying the words out loud, and he talks about um, there's real scientific evidence even that as you speak those words out loud that it does a shift in your mindset and your brain and so I remember I um, picked the verse Psalms 46 1 through 11 and I would I would just speak those over my life and it was incredible like just after months of doing that that it did cause a shift in my mind and I was able to be like no God isn't good for others he's also good to me you know and 
And so what you do is you take a verse and you ponder it. So you just take this Bible verse and you just think about it and how it applies to your life. And then you physically say the Bible verse out loud and then you pray it over your life. And so I just encourage you, if you're in a season, you know, where you don't feel like God's truths are quite for you, that you would find a Bible verse and that you would speak those words over your life. And so I just want to leave you that, you know, God is closer than you think, that he is for you, that God's intentions towards you are always good, that he's worthy of your trust today. You know, the world fails us every day, but his promises will always be true.